Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data, as the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is back with your WWE Draft Edition. That's right, the Silver King is here to break down everything that happened, not just on Raw and SmackDown, but in the... I don't want to say second WWE draft because there's been more before, but the second WWE draft of this new Fox and USA Network era. We saw 12 rounds of draft picks, some undrafted free agent signings, and candidly, a bunch of craziness over the past couple days of television, and we are here to break it all down for you. Joining me, of course, none other than vintage Chris Vanini. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Vanini. Chris, how are things going in your neck of the woods? Things are going pretty well, and I just wanted to update people on something we did last week. We drafted our own rosters, obviously not the actual rosters, and we asked people on Twitter to vote for who won, and I had to start off this episode of the podcast with letting people know that my roster won the Twitter poll. So I just wanted to open with that and uh, gloat for a little bit. I think it was literally by like one or two votes. It was like 53, 47%. It was close. Uh, I think it was 52, 48. Let's not exaggerate. But nevertheless, you did win. You got over on me, which does not happen frequently. Um, But I I guess my only question is, what are you people smoking out there? I mean, my, my draft was far better, like significantly. So I don't, I mean, you started with a, a good champion. But other than that, I mean, I don't know how you look at my team and think that, you had a better roster other than I do give you credit for Bianca Belair. Yes. And she did get drafted early in the actual WWE draft. So, I mean, all the credit in the world for that, you got that one by me, but I mean, my roster was stronger, so I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure where all that came from. People love the Bianca Belair pick and clearly the people at WWE like that pick. And we will get into that. They did. And we will get into it. I already introduced vintage who you guys all named. So of course, don't forget I am the Silver King. I'm the host of this damn show. You can follow me on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. But more importantly, follow the show itself on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Once again, at Getting Overcast. Our uh, following on social media has not exploded, but it's uh, improved dramatically over the last couple of weeks since I've stressed it. So let's keep heading in that direction. I would love to hit 1,000 followers on Twitter before the end of the year. That is the stated goal. Let's get there. But in addition to following us on the social media platforms, the other key, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love this show. Every time you guys leave a rating and review, it helps us. It boosts us up in the standings. I told you last week, top 50 wrestling podcasts. We're now in the top 45. Okay. Now, we didn't, I don't think, get any new reviews, but we did get some new ratings. So look, it's helping. More people are listening. The show is growing, and that is the ultimate goal. We want to be doing this show for a way longer time, and we want to bring great professional wrestling audio content into your ear holes. Now, we do have a lot to talk about on today's show, so I don't want to lollygag too much longer. In fact, no longer. Let's hop into the main event. Now, Chris, the main event this week, it's a solo main event. It is a true main event. We are going to talk the WWE draft. We will also break down, by the way, everything that happens on Raw and SmackDown over the last few days. We're going to break all that down after the main event. So if for some reason you're sick of the WWE draft, you don't want to hear us talk about it, or you're starting the show a little bit later in the week, 
you can go ahead and check our episode description, find those timestamps and hop around as much as you want. But we are here to talk WWE draft, Chris. And I think the best way to start before we even get into the picks, how the rosters look, all the fallout from it is to discuss the operation because I stressed pretty heavily that the draft could only be as good as where it starts. And where it starts with is with the format, the rules, and the presentation. And while the format and the rules were basically the same as they were last year, and there wasn't too much wrong with that, I felt the presentation was far better. The set was awesome with the white line going right up and down the podium, splitting the stage between red and blue. And it was great that they chose to get reaction from individual superstars as they were drafted on SmackDown. But they didn't do that so much on Raw, despite having more time on the show. So I thought that was a little strange that they gave us kind of a little bit what we wanted on SmackDown, but didn't follow up with it on the show that had more time. And rather than go ahead and create good war rooms, as opposed to the shitty ones that they did last year, they didn't do any at all. So sometimes in in the respect to that, less or just not even having something is better than doing it at all, right? And I think that was a great decision on their part. So uh, ultimately, could it have been better? Yes, of course. You want interviews with the superstars as they're selected. You want a little bit of talk maybe through commentary or a backstage panel, a little bit of analysis about the divisions. And I know that they did a live WWE draft show on the WWE Network with, I guess, the panel from The Bump where they did do all of those things. But I would integrate that a little bit more into the television shows themselves. But since they didn't do that, we can only really judge it on what they gave us. And from a presentation standpoint, I just thought every bit of it was a little bit more real and a little bit better. There were some screw ups. There were some weird things that we're going to talk about, some bad booking decisions, as you will. But ultimately, was it an improvement from last year? I have to say it was. Yeah, I, I think so. It's it is a little weird doing this without a crowd, obviously, because you you want that reaction when 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 somebody splits up, when 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 somebody moves to something else, because especially in the era without fans in the crowd, nobody really cares about the idea of going to another brand. Like there has never been a a um, sense of. Uh, partnership nobody's really rooting for one brand over the other here so that's always been weird that's why typically doing these drafts with authority figures kind of gives you that kayfabe story um but that said given the circumstances they were in i didn't hate it i thought it was fine they explained that fox and usa people were talking with wwe about who they wanted and, and then stephanie just announced the pick so it worked uh and yeah they did that a lot of that live reaction type stuff on the bump. And as is often the case, I feel like things that WWE does on social media should be integrated into the show much more, whether that's backstage promos after a match that are YouTube only or uh, stuff like live reactions to the draft while it's going on. I feel like that would have gave the both shows more of a active feel because it still feels closed off. You want that feeling of, of a show where there's a, an evolving storyline throughout the night. And if you kept going back to something like that for reactions on the draft and it built up throughout the show, I feel like that could have been better. So they did good things. I just feel like they could have used them together. It's true. Now, I guess a lot of the TV audience may not be familiar with those bump people. Look, I watch a lot of wrestling. I have never seen 
a full episode of The Bump. I just Me know neither. about them because they're on social media and there's clips and stuff. So introducing that many new people to analyze picks, probably not a good idea, right? But I think they could have had the raw talk set up during the entire show and had Jerry the King Lawler and, you know, Chuck and R-Truth on that set or even Booker T fly him in or something and have them do analysis. Over on SmackDown, they did kind of a kickoff show. I didn't get to see it, but with Renee Paquette now, by the way, not Renee Young and Booker T and they kind of previewed the show. So why not have the Talking Smacks uh, set set up? And have them discuss some of the picks as they're made. Mm-hmm. Treat it like treat it more like an NFL or NBA draft where there's time between picks. And in in that, it's it's a clock, you know, for sports. Whereas for WWE, it's matches and storylines and stuff. And that's fine. But you have a three-hour show. You're introducing the equivalent of, I'm trying to think how many they did, 49. Um, no, not 49. Uh, they did a lot. Of five, picks. Five, five, there was first day was five picks for round five rounds, twenty five on on SmackDown. Next one had seven rounds times five, so thirty five. Thirty five. They did thirty five on Raw, basically. Yeah. Right. They did twenty five on SmackDown and thirty five on Raw. So you're doing thirty five picks, but you have th- one hundred and eighty minutes of television. You can do some reaction and maybe give us one less match or. Don't give us the Miz TV segment that you gave us at all. <laughs> it was unnecessary to be on the show. Um, just, I don't know, the entire aspect of not treating it like the picks mattered is what bothers me. And also the other thing, and this is a larger piece of commentary that we'll talk about specific instances in which it was a problem. They gave away so much of the draft before it happened. Now, granted, a lo- how exciting would the draft have been if they didn't give any of these things away? Still not that exciting, right? But just as a microcosm of it, they had Lana and Natalia split before they had them basically get at odds at each other in the Battle Royal, and then before they announced that they got split in the final round of the draft on Raw Talk. So why not do that in the opposite order? Why not have them be in the Battle Royal earlier in the show? Um, Lana eliminates Natalia and wins it. They get a tag team match later. I, I wouldn't do this at all. I'm just saying they have a tag team match later in the show. Lana loses it. Natalia gets pissed off at her. And then they split them up in the draft. It's just the order of operations of so many of the things that they did, the tag team titles, all these things. It was convoluted and it wasn't really thought through. They even had Ricochet give away a draft pick backstage like he knew what was going to happen. So I think that was ultimately my biggest issue with the entire thing. Not that there were too many problems, not that it was corny like it was last year. I didn't find any of those things to be wrong, but there were too many occasions in which they kind of told us what was going to happen before it happened. And even when it comes to Raw, they put five new draft picks on Raw in the two weeks leading up to them actually being drafted for Raw. Now, maybe those there were COVID-related reasons where you know segments they had scheduled for the show were unable to be done because people were sick and not there. So therefore they need, they didn't have anything to fill in the time. So they basically brought people up early and started their storylines a little bit earlier. I could see that maybe being the case, but I mean, they brought like five new people into raw and all of them wound up being drafted on raw. So just so much of it felt like it was given away. I'm not giving it a bad grade. If I had to grade the entirety of the draft again, we're going to break it down here. You know, I'd probably be nice and give it like a B like it wasn't great, but it, 
it wasn't bad by any means. You know, they they made some good decisions and good moves, and we're going to talk about all those now. But I do think like it's not that hard when something is when you have a scripted show and you have the opportunity to over script something, which a draft is the definition of it. You have to plan it out. You have to get some paper and a whiteboard and or an Excel document and Excel sheet, I guess, and literally figure out how these rosters are going to look, how many women are going to be on this side, how many tag teams um, or is the main event going to be too stacked here? Is the mid card going to be too stacked here? You should be able to think this through over a couple days at a minimum and come up with two really solid rosters and then figure out, okay, how do we work these picks into storylines we want to tell? And I feel like they did that in many circumstances, but in others, they got it really not wrong, but they did it in a very lazy way. And that's what we're going to talk about, I think, over the duration of this draft conversation. Yeah, it just it felt like they were telegraphing feuds that they were going to start after the draft. And so you have stuff like Kevin Owens bouncing back and forth between brands. You have Braun Strowman showing up on Raw for some stuff. And it, it turned out, yeah, that that's what it was for. So um, telegraph some of it for the sake of trying to tell stories. Uh, and now we move forward. Yeah, one last note before we actually get to the draft, because we were talking about the Thunderdome set, and I did think it looked good. And, you know, I, I got to give them credit for that. Uh, they apparently reportedly extended the Thunderdome contract for another four weeks, which I think is great. The Thunderdome mm-hmm. works. Yep. It has made the shows look and feel more normal and better. And the pyro, the lights, everything they're doing. Some people could say it's overkill. We're in unique cir- circumstances right now. Four more weeks of the Thunderdome for me is a great move for WWE. Yep. Yep. And, and the audio is uh, not perfect at times, but it's certainly much much improved from the previous setup, which honestly was probably the biggest issue. Absolutely. So let's start with night one of the WWE draft. This happened uh, on SmackDown Friday, October 9th. I just thought the draft pools of superstars were pretty uneven, right? So because of of that, in night one, WWE had Raw draft five champions, whereas SmackDown only drafted one on the entire show. And with all the titles up for grabs and able to change brands, it just didn't make total sense why they would go in that direction. So right off the bat, you had WWE Raw draft Drew McIntyre, Asuka, and the Hurt Business in the first round. Later, they took the women's tag team champions. And then later, they stole the SmackDown tag team champions. So we'll get to that in a moment. But, you know, that is the first thing I noticed. But I think the biggest news to come out of the first round, really, was Seth Rollins becoming a SmackDown superstar for the first time. And it was hysterical to me that they went ahead, and I knew they were going to do it, but they went ahead and drafted Ray and Dominic Mysterio a short while later. Rollins got a promo on it that I thought set the entire thing up nicely because he talked about never wanting to see their disgusting faces again. And as soon as he said that, I knew they were going to draft them. Then you had Murphy got undrafted on TV, which I thought was to create a smart storyline where He was not going to get selected at all. And then Rollins was going to bring him back as part of the greater good. But instead, on Saturday during Talking Smack, he just went to SmackDown in the fifth round of the draft that was not aired on television. So much for that. But we do have all of them on there now. And, you know, I'm fine that they're keeping it together because there's no resolution to the storyline. So if they had split them up, then where would we have been? I I guess I'm I'm so over this. Rollins Mysterio feud they've tried to 
keep it going by throwing in new things all the time. I guess, yeah, they got the Buddy Murphy uh, thing with, with, with Dominic's sister, and I guess that's ongoing. But just when, when, Rollins, when Rollins said that, that he never wanted to see them again, I was actually excited. I was like, finally, we get to see Seth do something else. And no, apparently not. Um, the, the issue with the champions, I, I'll wait until we talk about New Day before I give my thoughts on that. Yeah, I just think it was strange for them to front load so many champions on the first night and then have Raw coming out drafting five champions. Like, it's just, you could easily have put Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler on the second night or the Hurt Business, right? Like, the way they did the draft pools didn't make a lot of sense. I know they wanted a lot of big names for SmackDown, but when you only have SmackDown drafting four rounds of picks on television, which means they're only taking eight people and they're only taking one woman, how many women, two women out of eight picks. It's just, it's weird the way that was all set up, but okay. We'll talk about that a little bit later. I did think on night one that raw was the loser. If you want to put a bow on that in terms of the major swaps, because SmackDown added Seth Rollins, Bianca Belair, and the Mysterios, while Raw added AJ Styles, Naomi, and then Mizzet and Morrison. So I thought head-to-head in terms of swaps, SmackDown wound up better than Raw in all three circumstances. Yeah, I I think, you know, Bianca Belair going in the... It's weird how they list out these rounds. I guess technically the second round, but she was like the, what, seventh, eighth or ninth pick here. Um Sasha and Bianca going in that second round of SmackDown, I think, was a, a pretty big sign uh, of what they wanted to do. And yeah, it, it made SmackDown more interesting because there's there are new, different people kind of at the top of that card that interest me and, and, and could interest me in future feuds. So uh, I think SmackDown did pretty well here. Um, yeah. I do think when you kind of look at it, I mean, Raw, basically all they really did was retain their champions in the first draft, first day of the draft. Now, they did pick up a different tag team. We'll talk about that really quickly in a moment, or actually at length in a moment. But when it came to strength of picks, I mean, you think of what SmackDown had and what they added. I thought they won. But yes, Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair, both being on SmackDown, I think sets up an incredible future rivalry between the two. Naomi over on Raw, I don't love it, but... It creates a really interesting dynamic, dude, where it would be pretty awesome if she joined the Hurt Business because you have Retribution that has a female member. You put Naomi over with Hurt Business. You know they're going to be feuding for at least a little bit. I think that would be cool if they convinced her to like get serious, quote unquote, and, and join up with them. She'd look pretty cool in a suit or, or dress more formally. And I don't know. I just think that could really work for her. But also on night one, and we'll wrap up with this before we talk about the big news coming out of it, WWE split up three different tag teams. They split up Heavy Machinery, Lucha House Party, even though they're still a tag team, and then The New Day. So before we talk about New Day, any issue with them splitting up the three-man Lucha House Party or Heavy Machinery? Yes, there are no tag teams. There, there, <laughs> there's nobody left Crazy. To, to really do I mean. There, there's a really good draft recap up on a place called CBS Sports by a guy named Adam Silverstein that unaffiliated that that uh, <laughs> that lays this all out. And Raw in the end has five tag teams slash factions 
that includes her business and and retribution men uh smackdown has four tag teams so that's 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 not much and then the women there's only three tag teams period women's tag teams so yeah i have a problem with splitting up tag teams because um, unless they are going to unify the tag belts here which uh, we have been calling for for a little bit, but there's just there's just not enough here to have tag team divisions. I don't see the benefit, especially with, with, with something like Heavy Machinery. Even if Otis gets that push as a singles guy, you can just have Tucker be his sidekick. Like, right. Tucker, Tucker going on his own over to Raw does nothing for anybody, and it, it only hurts him, and I just I don't see the point of it. It's, it's just really bad. And the truth is, it's not just that there's five and four. There's really not. There's three yeah. tag teams on both shows right now. Like the real tag teams yeah. on Raw, and we're kind of getting ahead, obviously, but the, the tag teams on Raw are New Day, Miz and Morrison, and Lucha House Party. And the tag teams on SmackDown are the Street Profits, Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura, and Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. Those are the real established teams that have competed in tag team title matches or we know of as tag teams. Everything else, we're just kind of assuming they will be tag teams. But what WWE did constantly in the leaks, in the in the leaks, in the weeks leading up to the draft and during the draft is split up tag teams. They they split up multiple women's tag teams. They split up more women's tag teams during the draft, and they split up men's tag teams. And it's just like, I know you don't care about tag team wrestling. But you're going to have it because you have two titles. And by the way, they also had two more opportunities to unify the titles and they still didn't unify the titles. So, okay, they're committed to having two titles. They're committed to having a tag team division, but you're splitting up all your damn tag teams and you made the ill-fated decision that we've talked about, dude, so many times. You guys know I hate it of putting money in the bank on Otis, which was a waste (laughs) of money in the bank. And it's been a waste of Otis because guess what? Otis and Tucker work well together. Mm -hmm. The tag team is good. The gimmick, the way they play off one another. Tucker, even during this type of storyline where Otis has been a single and he's needed him as a best friend in a supporting role, Tucker's actually developed a personality, Mm -hmm. but the personality is tied to Otis. So now you're going to put this guy on Raw. What's he going to do? Raw underground? Like Tucker is, he's worthless on Raw. He, he, unless you're going to come up with some gimmick for him, which I don't trust them to do, then what are you going to do with Tucker? I would have much rather them left both of them on SmackDown, had them compete individually, but have each other's back and move like a shorty G over to Raw where he can compete in Raw Underground in a Dolph Ziggler type of role. He can be a wrestler and maybe he'll get a push and maybe things will happen for him. Instead, he's left where he is. And it's just, it's incredibly frustrating to see them do this. But the most frustrating out of all of them, Chris, was the biggest news on both days of the entire draft. And we're going to talk about this right in the middle of talking about the two nights of the draft because it really takes over both shows. And that is WWE deciding to split up New Day. Now, I have two different minds on this. On one hand, I can't say the booking was totally bad, right? Because they took you along for a ride. They reformed New Day early in the show with the returns of Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. And I didn't know that Woods was healthy and ready to come back. So that was a really nice surprise, all of that together. And then they basically say, hey, we're back. We want tag team gold. 
We, we're hungry for it. We've been missing it. We need to go right after it. And we've seen many times on draft shows before where they'll do a mid-card title change or they'll do a tag team title change and then draft the other team, whatever the case might be. So they go ahead and win the SmackDown tag team titles, which in your head says, okay, great. They're all going to stay on SmackDown together, right? Because why wouldn't they? But then immediately after that, they get split up via the draft from Stephanie McMahon. The title change, here's my issue with this. The title change was given away when the match was announced out of nowhere. Because we know that when you're going to do a sudden title match, generally on one of these shows, the title is going to change. But it was effective in terms of the way it was booked and the way they handled it to split them up. On the other hand, though, Chris, and this is where I have a problem. This made zero sense whatsoever in kayfabe. If you're a USA Network executive or if you're a WWE person advising USA Network, why would you ever take two out of three members of a group instead of the whole group, especially when the third part of the group is Big E? Maybe the best prospect of the three, even though one of them has been WWE champion, Big E is the one who right now looks like he has a promising singles career. And on top of that, you're choosing two out of the three guys on a show where that third guy, Big E, just won a ridiculously awesome false Count Anywhere match on the very same show. So A, why would you not want the entire group considering how impressive they all are together? It just does not compute. I don't like the idea of a split, but if you're going to do it, this is what you do. You have Big E beat Sheamus in the false Count Anywhere match be really impressive. Then he gets drafted to SmackDown with executives thinking he's ready to main event and he's continuing this great journey that he's on. But after he gets drafted to SmackDown, you have Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods backstage surprising Big E and returning to celebrate with him. Then they get the title match. Then they win the titles and everyone's happy because they're all going to be on the same show. Everyone's celebrating. And then you just draft Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods to Raw because USA wants the new champions and because now they're back and healthy as a tag team. And Biggie has already been claimed for SmackDown. Instead, by the way they booked it, dude, they did it as stupidly as possible, both from a kayfabe standpoint and from an executive standpoint, because why would you ever not want all three guys? So the way the way I explain the way I explained it to myself and the way it should be explained on television is that because they have the tag team belts, the two of them who have it can are, are separate, but you can't, but you can't establish that beforehand without telegraphing that you're going to split them up. So, which is, which is why the way you laid it out is a way it would have made sense. But it's also not true because her business was drafted with Bobby Lashley in the first round. You'd have to draft Lashley separate and then her business. Yeah, this is yes, exactly. This is a problem. I I, I can understand if they want to make the case that having the two guys with the belts are automatically on their own because they're champions. But they they didn't do that, that that this is me trying to cover for them. So that doesn't count. Along with that, the problem with this draft setup is how... So the idea is you want to get certain people on certain brands and then you're essentially retrofitting a dra- retrofitting a draft together to make it happen. But why why are the New Day drafted after 
The Miz and John Morrison, who went to Raw. Of course. After right. Ray and Dominic Mysterio. Um, it, it, it's, it was done in a way to build up this moment where they get split, where they're together. But other, but w- with what happened, it makes what happened beforehand not make as much sense. And of course, and in, in, in the way you explained to do it would have been a better way to do it. Uh, but I think they wanted that moment of New Day and Big E get drafted back to back and the split happens right there and they have that scene in the ring and they couldn't figure out uh, a perfectly sensical way to get there. I literally just gave it though. And and the, and the yeah. sensical way that I gave doesn't change any of the booking. You still get the false count anywhere match. You still get the, the surprise backstage interaction and you still get them winning the titles and being surprised and you're getting the moment in the ring because Biggie's Biggie runs out, hobbles out because the false count anywhere. He's all dinged up, celebrating with New Day that they just won the titles. They're all cheering. Um, maybe even you hear Xavier Woods say, hey, we're all going to get to stay. This is great. Like something like that off, you know, off mic. And then Stephanie comes out and does the rest of the draft. And right, right. the but first that- pick, the very first pick is them going to Raw. And you're just, they're all sitting there stunned. Right, it no- literally is the same booking but it actually makes sense instead well, of doing it this way the, the the difference is you don't have new day drafted and then be drafted they're split and you're revealed that they can split at the same time if you it, i'm just i'm i'm guessing they're i know you're playing devil's advocate it, if they if they yeah. draft biggie separate earlier in the show it's already telegraphed that they're kind of splitting up no, I, no, I, I, because I, if you no, because if you're if they're drafting Biggie on his own earlier in the show, you don't even know that New Day are back yet. That's true. And That's and then true. and and the way you're teasing the fans, the way you're screwing with everyone, swerving everyone, is you're doing the same booking. You're having them get a title match and win the SmackDown titles. So if you're a fan, you're like, great, they're all going to stay together on SmackDown. Yeah. And then you swerve everyone with the draft. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. I. I I'm thinking that in their minds, they started with. We're gonna draft new D, new day and Biggie back to back, uh, and work backwards split and work backwards from there. That that's Probably. my guess is how it came up. But yeah, a, a lot of this with the way it happens ends up making some other stuff not make as much sense, such as deciding to draft Miz and Morrison instead of the new day, right? Or taking Naomi over Bianca Belair, even though she's a two time champion, or Ricochet over Ray and Dominic Mysterio. Like the 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 draft order is another thing, and we I don't I don't even know that we can discuss it because I could literally tell you that someone who went undrafted should have been a second round pick. Sure. Like, so, so it's just, it, it's ridiculous. But look, I can't say that, even though I have a lot of criticisms for this, I can't say it's completely bad because I thought New Day sold it extremely well. Also, we're not really seeing them split up because what New Day has talked about on numerous occasions, including two interviews, two times I've spoken to them, is they are not going to be split up and they're not going to do a storyline where one of them turns on the other ones. Yeah. So they're not doing that per se. They still seem to be New Day. It seems like Biggie and Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston will both come out to New Day music. It seems like they're both probably going to all keep the gear and still refer to themselves as members of this group, but just be on different shows. So it's a split without a split. And I don't, you know, I'm assuming they'll, there will be a moment during a Survivor Series match that we'll get where... Biggie has to wrestle Kofi or something like that. But I I don't hate it as much as I thought I would. The truth is, New Day has probably been together longer than any other faction. 
or group. They're not a group. They're not a faction. They're a group. They've probably been together longer than any other group that I can remember without a split, a fracture, a new member, without something weird happening. It's and truly remarkable. You don't does, really think about it until you watch a WrestleMania from like five years ago. Right. And they're, and they're still together. And you're like, wow. It, it, they, honestly, it's a credit to them because they still feel fresh. But yeah, they do feel they wild. do feel fresh. And that's what I was going to say. That's exactly my point. Do we love this? No, we don't love this. But it is fresh and different. And it does, it will create a moment. And hopefully we don't have to wait a calendar year. But it will create a moment when they are reunited. And when they are all together officially again, that will be a great moment. Maybe there will be a trade. Maybe they have a a kayfabe way figured out to do this. Maybe, hey, maybe this is what, maybe this is how we get Big E in a singles main event match at WrestleMania if they don't go Roman Reigns versus The Rock. And maybe New Day is there by his side, or maybe they get traded over to SmackDown or something. So I'm not I'm not going to be one of those people that just craps all over it because New Day got split and New Day should never be split. I have much more of an issue with how they did it. And even how they did it wasn't the worst thing they could have done, but it just wasn't the best. And I laid out and it took no time at all. I'm not saying I'm smart or extremely inventive. I just gave it a little bit of thought. And I was like, how could they have done this and made it make complete sense? And five minutes later, I came up with that. And that's all that they need to do. It's the difference between WWE TV being good and possibly great. And I'm not saying that my way would have been great, but it would have been better. There's no question about it. My biggest thing here, it, it and it's the same thing that we just talked about with Otis and Tucker. And that is you don't need to split up a team to create a singles star. Right. Like we just went through a couple of years ago, the whole Kofi Kingston thing and new day being there with him, I think helped him because it helps. A, you can better relate to a character when he has friends around and they have discussions and go through things together as friends like normal people do. Not everybody goes through the world like as an individual on their own every time. Like People interact with each other and have friends. So I don't think you need to split up New Day to have Big E go on this big singles push, which by all, you know, by all indications, that's what they're doing, and that's good. We, we, we all want that for Big E. We've said that for a while. We think he's going to be a star and, and good on WWE for finally doing that. I just don't think you need to split them up to do that. And, and, and you know, Big E has gotten where he is. Um, and he has said this many times because of what him and Woods and, and Kofi get to do together. And you can still have him do his own thing. And his friends are still there from time to time. So it's just it, 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 was, it was to create this moment that I don't think you needed. I do agree that when they do have that reunion, whenever it happens, it will be a very, very cool moment. Um, I just feel like I'm assuming that the reason that part of part of this reason is because they want all the focus on Big E as he starts a singles push. And honestly, I don't think it's you don't need to split them up to do that. You know, you're right. Like it, it does not hurt to have one guy. And we saw it, like you said, with Kofi, we've seen it in other factions and groups in the past. You don't necessarily need to have a leader for that person to be a single star. You just need to treat it well. And and just like they had when Kofi stepped away for those weeks, he's like, E, you know, Woods and I talked and we're going to have you go out on your own, like, or we're going to 
support you in doing this. We want you to be all you can be and, and become a champion, a singles champion, world champion like I was. And we're going to support you all the way. And New Day comes out for their matches without E and E comes out for his matches without them. But backstage, you still have segments and the interaction between them. You know, maybe they did it because being in New Day, he's not quote unquote serious enough. And you've kind of seen that after that criticism that he got from, I forgot who it was, if it was Seamus, that if he was the one who started it or Miz, maybe it was, it was Miz. Miz. It was Miz. You've seen him slowly get serious and be in more serious matches and have moments where he's had to kind of turn on the aggressiveness. So I do feel as if they're telling a story with Biggie and I give yeah, them credit for, sure, for that. For sure. Like this is what we want. But mm-hmm. as is almost always the case with WWE, you can never just get what you want. It always has to come with the side dish of, you know, of broccoli. We're like, hey, if it was carrots, you'd eat it and, and love it because carrots are great. But broccoli, you kind of just got to get it down. Big fan. And that, that's what this is. It's like we're getting we're getting the chicken parm. But we're getting that broccoli on the side that we're just going to have to kind of get down to get our entree. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and this isn't to take away from, like I said, we, we, it's clear what they're doing with Big E and we're all going to love it and support it. And that's good. And I know sometimes we talk too much about the negative stuff and not about the positive stuff. But yes, they're doing a great job with Big E. I've really liked that Seamus feud that they've been doing. Clearly, they have a, a future for him. And I think it's going to be a, a home run, whatever they do. It's just like, you didn't need to do this, I don't think. <laughs> Or just in the way. You didn't have to do it in the way you did it. So yeah. again, not trying to crap on it on this necessarily. There are things that we will crap on. But just when you know it can be better, that that's when it really hurts. That's when WWE really hurts. And I knew that this could be better. Uh, so New Day will have a farewell to SmackDown match next week. Uh, Kofi Kingston, by the way, the other takeaway I have, Kofi being on Raw makes things interesting. Because now that you have Mustafa Ali as the leader of Retribution, they can really play into that Mustafa Ali storyline we were talking about um, with him, you know, taking out New Day, maybe Retribution winning the tag team titles off of them. There's a lot they can do with Kofi now on that brand. And I'm excited for that. Like, I hope they do it. I don't know that they will, but yeah. it's part of his story. You know? I'm, su- I'm surprised we didn't get much of a follow up uh, on that whole thing um, to, to lead into that kind of stuff. But maybe it's maybe it's a few weeks away. I don't know. We apparently were supposed to. Uh, Retribution was supposed to be on there. Ali was supposed to do an address. We don't know why they weren't there. Maybe time crunch or they got written out or maybe knock on wood, someone got sick. But yeah, they weren't there. And and I don't necessarily know why. Now, coming out of this, coming out of SmackDown, we had a couple days before Raw. I was guessing what WWE would do would basically draft Street Profits over to Raw and have them trade titles or something backstage. I thought that maybe they're going to do something a little bit better. Maybe because we talked about it before with Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura, we would have a unification match. But again, that's something that could have happened at Clash of Champions. So why would you do it during the WWE draft? I also thought it was possible that just like New Day, Street Profits could wind up getting in a match and dropping the titles. That didn't happen either. Instead, as expected, the Street Profits got drafted over to SmackDown early during night two. They bypassed a second opportunity to unify the titles or do something cool. And instead, they literally just had them exchange the titles. And not just that, it was lazily done because they had Adam Pierce mandate it rather than the guys do it on their own. Maybe what they could have done is like an eight man tag team match, right? You have an eight man match. 
They all wrestled together, New Day and Street Profits, since they had the fun backstage interaction already, right? You have them against Miz and Morrison and Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura, right there. You do an eight-man tag team match, and I know I'm fantasy booking, but I'm just trying to tell you guys my, I'm I'm trying to explain my opinion here. You do an eight-man tag team match, and at the end of the match, all four titles are on the ground because they're celebrating. And they look at each other, they shrug, and they pick up the other color titles and they walk off. How much better is that? And that's not even good, but how much better is that than Adam Pierce mandating that they just trade titles? Yeah, that was my exact thought. I was like, wait, is this really happening? Are we really just going to hand them to each other backstage? Because Adam Pierce was like, eh, how about we do this? And everybody's like, sure. And uh, yeah, no, I was, uh, you could have done anything. 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 Would've, anything. Would have made more sense. And, um, but okay, so this comes back to what I wanted to talk about just briefly. And that is, so we did our draft last week and we said champions have to stay where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this draft, I don't know if other dra- past WWE drafts have done this, where you can draft a champion and take the title with them. I don't exactly remember how it's happened in the past. You can, but yes, you can, yes. Why, and, and it became clear when Raw drafted three straight champions, uh, why not, like in kayfabe, if I'm one of these brands, why do I not try to draft as many champions as I can? Immediately? Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. W- like why? And I, I know some of them were in different pools, so you couldn't necessarily take the street profits uh, at the same day you took New Day. But if I'm raw running this draft, I draft whoever the raw tech, the SmackDown champions are at the time pretty quickly. And then when raw has the first pick on, on day two, I draft the, the street profits as well and take those tags as well. Like absolutely in, in kayfabe, if I'm doing this, I'm taking all the titles. Right off the absolutely. Bat. And then, and then, you know what, you're holding the other brand hostage Yeah. and you say, Hey, Hey, SmackDown, you don't have a tag team title. You want one of these guys back? And they say, yeah. And then you say, okay, give me your second round pick. Yeah. Do you, yeah. And, like and we like, outsmarted you, right? Like maybe it's convoluted, but when, when you have that stipulation where you can draft champions, uh, as normally they do exactly what you just mentioned, which was you lose the title on the way out, essentially. But that's not exactly how they did this. And then drafting Nia Jackson, but drafting Nia Jackson, Shanna Baszler seems like a complete waste of a pick since those are already cross brand. No, but you get the talent, though. I guess. But again, so only, when they drop only, the titles, you still get them. They, they stay I, on your brand. I guess that's true. But there are there are only three women's tag team tag teams, period. So that's a whole other issue. But sure. But you could make the argument that Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler are valuable women. Yes. And, and wrestlers. Uh, yes. And I guess maybe I haven't paid attention closely enough. So Raw drafted R-Truth and the 24-7 championship. Has the 24-7 championship been on SmackDown at all? Or am I... Mistaken. At the very has beginning it, of its existence, a, okay. at the beginning it's of its existence, no, at, well, at the beginning of its existence, it went back and forth. It was a multi-brand. No, title. I, I mean recent months. Past no, no, they've it, they've really since like there. since like six months ago or so, it's been exclusive raw. Okay, because uh, I wasn't sure if that yeah. was going to cross as well, so I was curious. No, they used yeah. it as a lot of promotion early yeah. on for Fox and stuff, and they right. had that guy Rob Stone win it, and they had it on some Fox uh, Super Bowl halftime, I think it was on, or or New Year's Eve thing or whatever, but. No, ever since then, like since the turn of the year, it's been an exclusive Smack uh, Raw title because apparently it was a USA Network executive's idea. So in in, gotcha. in reality, not gotcha. But yeah, I, I had yeah. I had thought about it as the draft played out, just not just drafting all the champions you could in well in kayfabe. 
here was the other thing I wanted to talk about before we get out of um, just the, the swap of the titles. The other thing that they could have done, if they aren't going to unify them, if they weren't going to have them do something funny, like I mentioned in the ring, where they just decide on their own to change titles. The other thing they could have done is used this as an opportunity to get rid of the brand designations. They could have called one the WWE tag team titles, another one the Universal tag team titles, yes. and given one got one team a black strap and the other team a silver strap or you know another color. You know, well that, that's or, how this used to work. I mean, they used to have the WWE championship belts and you had the world and the world belts. Yeah. So so they had so many different things that they could have done with this storyline, and in both circumstances, I felt they just took the e- the easiest and laziest way out. Where doing a little bit better and a little bit more would not have taken much more energy. Now, you know, that's the New Day stuff. That's the Street Profit stuff. Well, real quick, since we're on the topic here, Big E beat Sheamus in a false count anywhere match. I thought it was a really entertaining match. Yes. A lot of kendo stick shots early. They predictably went backstage and then to the parking lot, which made sense, obviously, in the storyline. Big E randomly used like hand sanitizer. I thought that was funny. They ate a tire iron to the gut, but the problem was Seamus like threw it on the ground. It didn't make any noise afterwards. So that was kind of stupid. Uh, but then Seamus hits him with the white noise through another car windshield. <laughs> so I popped for that. Um, Biggie got slammed into a car door. Then he fought out of the trunk. Seamus bro kicked the lid of the trunk off. Biggie then got caught um, trying to hit a power bomb on Seamus through a windshield, but he wasn't able to do it. So he basically hit a power bomb onto the hood. And then picked Seamus up and threw him into the windshield, which was funny. And then he hit the big ending through the table for the win. I just thought this was a ridiculously good match. Like not even, hey, that was a decent hardcore match for TV. This could have been on a pay-per-view and I would have popped. Mm -hmm. I also could not stop laughing at Biggie covered in food and dust and all that stuff, selling his arm injury, absolutely exhausted from the match standing there while Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods were all energetic and excited and trying to pump him up after winning while he's just then like convulsing in pain, basically. So I loved everything about that segment and the backstage segment, even if I didn't necessarily love the way they told the story over the rest of the show. Yeah, no, Seamus Biggie has been a fun little weekly feud here, and I don't know if they should have had a car match or something like that, considering how many car windshields they've destroyed. But it again highlighted why false count anywhere is the best is my favorite stipulation in wrestling. It's so much better than than I quits or last man. God forbid, last man standing matches. False count anywhere matches are fun. And yeah. that match highlighted exactly why that is. And I'm surprised they haven't done more of them, considering they're stuck in the same place for so long. Now, the only other thing to talk about involving these teams happened on Raw. And we will get to night two of the draft momentarily, but. I have to just keep all of this information together. We had a Raw tag team title match. Renew Day defended against Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. So that's who it should have been. Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode and the eight man that I was talking about. But this was a good match. They're all good wrestlers. But just as I was talking about before, they completely telegraphed the match because before the match even began, they had Ziggler and Roode drafted to SmackDown. Now, if they had did this done this match earlier in the show, then you could have said, Okay, well, now it makes sense. New Day is just going to lose the titles back. So they're going to go take them back to SmackDown. But because of the order of operations in which they did everything, and they already had exchanged the titles, and now New Day were defending the Raw titles, 
and the Street Profits had already been drafted to SmackDown and been given the SmackDown titles, you knew there was no way that Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode were going to lose. So the match was completely irrelevant. So it would have completely wasted a feud if Ziggler and Roode were remaining on Raw. But since they weren't and they were going to SmackDown anyway, and you knew they were going to not going to win. It was a waste of a segment. Again, a circumstance where they could have given us draft pick analysis or could have just done something a little bit more on the show. Instead, it was another match and another situation where the move was telegraphed or known beforehand and pretty damn clear what was happening. Yeah, I, I not much to add other than pretty much you just laid it out, I think. Okay, so let's move into night two. I was a little bit surprised to see The Fiend be the number one overall pick on Raw. It made sense, of course, but I just didn't think they would actually go and do that. And then they went ahead, drafted Alexa Bliss a couple rounds later, and that was good because I was a little concerned that they might use the draft to split them up and kind of both do the gimmick on separate shows. They didn't do that. They kept them together. We'll we'll talk about what happened between them both on Raw a little bit later in the show. That was one thing, one note I had. Another note, Retribution has now not only signed contracts with WWE, but they've also now been drafted by a brand where I think they probably could have left them not in a pool and just kept them on Raw and just said, hey, these guys are different. Like, we're not going to draft them in our kayfabe draft. They, they're they outside of the system and they're causing problems and they're, and they're chaotic. So they're not part of the draft. So, yeah, or or, I mean, not everybody's drafted here or neither show wants to actually draft them because of all the carnage. And as a result, they go undrafted. And if you go undrafted, you stay on your brand. 100% could have done that as well. Um, It would have been very easy to explain that away in kayfabe. And on the retribution note, it looks like Mercedes Martinez was sent back to NXT. So now there's only one woman in retribution, which is Mia Yim. It's a shame for me a little bit because it's one of the things I liked most about it and I didn't like much about Retribution, but the fact that there were two women in there I thought was interesting. Uh, the Intercontinental Champion, Sami Zayn, was not drafted until the fourth round of the second day of the draft, and he was selected on SmackDown behind Lars Sullivan and King Corbin, among others. Imagine, I understand it's kayfabe. I know they're going to do a storyline out of it, so I'm not upset about it from that standpoint. But imagine in reality, not taking a prestigious title and a good wrestler until the fourth round. Through five rounds, neither Aleister Black nor Andrade were drafted at all. And Andrade actually went undrafted. So I'll pause there. Out of all those things I just said, you have an issue with any of that or all of it? Yeah, no, again, (laughs) kind of what I said before, why not draft the Intercontinental Championship? earlier for whatever reason and yeah you know it, it's i have i have a lot of issues about how this is done in order and and if you're going to do a draft format instead of a superstar shakeup then you really got to make sure this draft order makes sense yeah you can't have dabakato apollo cruz elias who's been injured and hasn't even been there all of these people drafted before alistair black who Yeah, he's lost, and we're going to talk about that. Trust me, I'm pissed. But had basically dominated Raw for the better part of a year. You know, it's just, it's kind of tough to stomach that. Now, granted, this second day of the draft was pretty stacked from a male singles perspective. So he didn't need to go in the first, second, or third round. But to have him go with the last pick for SmackDown of the sixth round of the draft, in the final round, basically, on TV, it's just a joke. So 
Um, we also had Apollo Crews get drafted to SmackDown. They gave that away in the backstage segment with Ricochet, and maybe he screwed that up. But Ricochet basically told her business, hey, look, Apollo could get drafted to SmackDown tonight. I might be here alone, so we need to settle this. Why not just have Apollo get drafted to SmackDown before that segment, then have him say, look, Apollo got drafted to SmackDown. I'm by myself. We need to settle this. It's the same storyline. You're having the same segment, except it makes sense. Okay. So I also mentioned that they gave away the finish to the Raw Tag Team title match because of Ziggler Rude getting drafted earlier in the show. So again, they just kept giving stuff away all night long. I mentioned all the new people that debuted on Raw over the past few weeks, Braun Strowman, Drew Gulak, Mandy Rose, and Dana Brooke, they all wound up on Raw in the draft. So they gave away four sets of draft picks, and that's not even counting retribution. And then you look at SmackDown, and this is my final note, and you can respond to whatever you want. SmackDown had drafted through the first 10 rounds of the draft. So four on SmackDown, one on Talking Smack, and you know a couple, three more on Raw. They had only drafted three women through 10 rounds. Yes. 20 picks, three women were on SmackDown, while Raw had 10, including a couple of tag teams. So you just look at the way this draft was formatted, the draft order. And like I said, the the shifts, the people who went to different brands, I, I really don't have much of a problem with it at all. And I'm not trying to find a problem with it, but they fixed so much. The presentation was better. The it felt a little bit more real than it did in the past. On SmackDown, the interviews they did backstage and over um, Skype or, or however AJ did his interview, all those things were really good. But then you get to Raw and half, half the picks were telegraphed and basically they didn't do any of the interviews with new talent drafted from one brand to another. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, it, it just felt lazy. And again, you know what? B's too nice. It's a C plus this draft because... It could have been an A, but they just screwed up and, and they didn't care enough to hit those fine points and finer details where you could look back on it and say, man, every part of that, that really made sense. Instead, they just gave us so much crap surrounding what in many respects were good talent trades. Yeah, it feels like, you know, this is, this is it's hard to do this to put this puzzle together to make it all make sense without a doubt. But there are mistakes that don't need to be made. They're trying to tell, it's like sometimes they're trying to tell a story through the draft and it it just, it it doesn't work. Like Lars Sullivan being drafted like at all, let alone ahead of someone like Seamus and everything else is going on. It's so it's like, okay, they're bringing Lars Sullivan back. They want to push him, but maybe just maybe the draft is not the place to do this. Just like, you know, give him a week, do the draft, then have him come back and do his thing because you're trying to throw too many stories into this draft and create things out of it that it's making, it's becoming too convoluted and people aren't following it. And anybody who pays any attention knows right. that drafting Lars Sullivan in the third round ahead of some of these other people makes just no sense. Anybody it's like, they're trying to force new storylines and angles and in ways we should feel about things onto us before actually kind of getting there. And it's just, it's making it, it's making the job harder uh, for what they have to do with this. And, and uh, simpler, the better with this stuff. It, it's true. And you know what, man, like I love Ricochet. I'm a big fan, right? But in what world would you take Ricochet in the third round and then take Big E like six picks later in the fourth round. 
Right. You wouldn't because guess what? Ricochet's been a loser for the better part of a year. And Biggie hasn't been. He's on fire, right? So when it comes to all those little touches, you can just do it, especially when they're going to wind up on the brands they're on anyway, then just you can do it so much better. Why would you ever, if you if you brought Keith Lee in as a free agent to Raw, why would you ever draft Braun Strowman a full round ahead of him? You should be taking Keith Lee in that spot mm-hmm. and then taking Braun Strowman later. Yeah. So just little things like that. But ultimately, dude, we're done with the draft. Um, I thought from a, they added some people to the rosters as undrafted free agents um, last night into this morning. So looking at the rosters themselves, I broke it down by number. Raw has 22 men. SmackDown has 15. Uh, Raw has eight women. SmackDown has, forgot to change the number, seven. Uh, Raw has five men's tag teams or groups. And SmackDown has four and Raw has two women's tag teams and SmackDown has one. So unlike last year, the proportions of talent are actually pretty damn good. It feels like both brands have a nice balance to them in terms of the number of men, number of women, number of tag teams. But it's just due to injuries, due to absences, not having, for example, the Viking Raiders around, Sonya Deville not being there, Becky not being there. Andrade going undrafted. You know, it does seem like there are a couple of those pieces that are missing that would otherwise make these rosters feel more full. I think the biggest news coming out of it is Andrade not being drafted. I don't think that means he's done with WWE. At least I hope not. My guess is they had him lose and go out on his back to Angel Garza. I think that they're giving him some time off, maybe with Charlotte to go on vacation. Maybe they're going to get married, have a honeymoon. Who knows? And maybe then he will come back and just wind up on a brand as a surprise return. And therefore, they didn't want to put him on one brand or another during the draft. But it is weird that two total people went undrafted and those people are Andrade and Mickey James. Yeah, and and I, I guess Mickey James being kind of part-time you can explain it i don't know but with andrade it's like yeah you know he he needs a break from tv we kind of got to re- refresh him reboot him here i'm i don't know what the plan is but um i'm fine with him taking a month or so off whatever to just get away from it it's been a rough couple of months for his character and i i think yeah i, I think it's good for for a lot of these folks if, if things are going well to just stay off tv for a little bit then come back and, and refresh let me let me ask you this also. Do you think Raw, looking at the rosters, is almost too main event heavy, whereas SmackDown is not? Because when I look at the SmackDown roster right now, there's 15 male singles, but the only ones I could actually see WWE going with as contenders for the world title, the, the Universal Championship, are Roman Reigns, obviously the champion. Rollins, certainly. Brian is not currently there. Kevin Owens... Jay Uso is currently involved in a program, but he won't be, obviously, long-term. Big E and Aleister Black, right? Like, that's it. Meanwhile, on Raw, you have McIntyre, Lashley, Styles, The Fiend, Randy Orton, Braun Strowman, Matt Riddle, Jeff Hardy. Well, I, w- I, wouldn't put, I wouldn't put Matt Riddle in. Fine, no Matt, Matt Riddle. Riddle. No Matt Riddle. Jeff Hardy, Keith Lee, and Sheamus, because he's a former champion. Yep. That, that's, it's, it's so much... 
it, it's so much beefier. I mean, let's be honest. It's it's not just that they're it's not just that they have more potential names. Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently now. I mean, just listen to those names. I didn't even mention, and this is not a main eventer, but Dabakato's there too. So you have Dabakato. Oh, yeah. Also, you have, Bray, you have Bray Wyatt. Hold on. You got yeah. Ron Strowman. You got Keith Lee. And that's not even mentioning larger dudes who are not enormous dudes like Drew McIntyre. Sheamus is pretty decently sized. Elias is pretty big. Oh, oh and yeah, Bobby Lashley. Big meaty men slapping me. I mean, the only big meaty men not on Raw is the biggest meatiest man, Big E, and I guess Roman Reigns and, and maybe Lars Sullivan, but who cares about him? But also they have former world champion, The Miz. Yeah. In their... Um, I mean, so, they're load, the, the Raw male singles roster is loaded. Yes, yes. And it, 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 it sets you up for, okay, what, what are we doing with Roman Reigns here when this Jey Uso thing is done? Is it going to be Big E? Is it going to be... Kevin Owens to 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 get him by to, to to Mania season. I'm not really sure. You know, as you look at the SmackDown men, there is a a dearth of main event uh, main event men singles people in there, right? Yeah, now, especially sure. faces. Yep. Like I like I mean, Dolph Ziggler is a guy you can throw in there to be a heel for a main event feud if you want to. Maybe I guess they have Rey Mysterio. I mean, they, they do have Rey Mysterio. I guess if if they are if Rey is able to get over uh, uh, Rollins, theoretically Rey could challenge Roman Reigns, and that's a big match. People would love to see it, and someone that Reigns can beat and look really strong beating. But Rey Mysterio, Daniel Bryan's not even there, so let's not even count him. Rey Mysterio, Kevin Owens, Biggie, those are your three faces who can fight Roman Reigns right now. Yeah, like I, I'm, you know. With these brand splits, you always want to think of like, oh, is there a SmackDown Six? Is this going to be the the working brand? I don't is see it, it. It, it. I mean, I mean, the group of Sami Zayn, Seth Rollins, Daniel Bryan, if you count them, Kevin Owens, Jey Uso, Alistair Black, Apollo Cruz, Murphy. You know, it's kind of Shorty G. I guess maybe it's kind. They can of, work. It's, yeah, they yeah, can it's, work. It's got that. It's got the workers in there, but it doesn't have that main event. Uh, that main event meat. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it doesn't have the main event feel. Like on Raw, you have both. You have the workers. You have the AJ Styles, the Matt Riddle, Ricochet, Angel Garza's a worker. You know, that you got some of those guys, but you also have the meat, right? And a lot of those guys pull double duty. AJ Styles, I, I think I didn't even mention him just because he, he may not be a big meaty man, but um, he's a main eventer, right? Mm-hmm. So they have so many people who can go after Drew McIntyre. I just, it's weird. It's weird how unbalanced that part of it is. The numbers are balanced. I don't know that the talent is balanced. And it also makes me wonder, hey, maybe will there will be one or two NXT call-ups that end up on SmackDown. But even if they are, there are, I don't know who they're going to be. Like if they put Karrion Cross on SmackDown, that would make a lot of sense. The problem is, again, Roman Reigns is your champion. So what the hell is Karrion Cross going to do? It's, it's... I just don't know the direction that they're going in terms of the men's picture on SmackDown. But look, we're going to find out. Friday is going to be the season premiere. We're still embroiled in the Roman Reigns Jey Uso storyline, which we can actually, it's actually a good transition to talk about SmackDown. But after that's done, after Hell in a Cell, maybe because they have Survivor Series, they're going to 
have the flexibility to figure this all out long-term. And they feel like, hey, we have Survivor Series coming up. We only really need one feud for December. And then January's Royal Rumble and we get right into WrestleMania season. So maybe they feel like as of right now, they don't need to worry about that. But long-term, if these rosters do stay the same and don't change in some significant way, I do think SmackDown is going to reach a period of time where they enter some of the issues that Raw's entered, which is long storylines that don't end. Yes. And we start saying, hey, look, maybe Raw's the better show, you know, three months from now. So as I mentioned, that actually ends up being a good transition into SmackDown. Normally, we will talk about the biggest moments from WWE TV and recap everything else on the back end. Today, because of the draft and that taking up our entire main event, we're going to talk SmackDown first, and then we're going to talk Raw. So the main, you know, real storyline on SmackDown was Roman Reigns dropping the official stipulation on Jey Uso. I thought this was an incredible segment. Reigns looked, acted, spoke like a total unabated badass here. Paul Heyman did a great job setting the stage, and then Reigns knocked it out of the park. Going with an I quit match, the idea of forcing Jay to verbally quit when he wouldn't verbally call Reigns the tribal chief inside of Hell in a Cell is smart because it's not just a Hell in a Cell match that we've seen so many times before. It takes it to that next level. I also really like the added intrigue that Reigns said Jay will have to pay even beyond quitting if he loses the match. So what does that mean? I don't know. But going into this match, I am now somehow more excited than I even was. It wasn't the stipulation I thought they might go with. But again, just because I fantasy book something doesn't mean they have to go in that direction. I'm excited about this. I think this was pretty smart booking. Yeah, yeah. Again, every saves every week. But every time Roman Reigns is on the screen, I'm paying attention. I am 100% attentive to what he's saying. I like the idea of of an I quit match in Hell in a Cell. I think it's kind of cool. Um, you know, I, I think it's maybe better than doing something maybe like a tribal chief match where the other one has to call the other one the chief or something. I think this works <laughs> right. fine. I think right. this works fine. So, uh, yeah, it, it adds intrigue. This continues to be, I think, without a doubt, the best storyline going in, in, in WWE. And um, they're just, they make it feel personal. They make it feel like it matters to them. And just, I'm loving every bit of this. No, it's really working. And I think Jey Uso also did an interview earlier this week where he said this was meant to be a one-month storyline, but they actually, it got over so well that they decided to extend it one more month. So pretty cool that that happened for him. And it did feel like it was over, by the way, at, at yeah. Clash of Champions or um, what was the pay-per-view? Not Clash of Champions. Yeah, it was Clash of Champions. Was it? Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, dude, there's so many pay-per-view names all mixed up here, but okay. So it was, oh yeah. Gold rush, right. Class of champions, gold rush. Um, so I did think that seemed like a match finish, like a storyline finish, but they, they decided to go a little bit longer. And again, so far, so good. SmackDown women's championship match. We had Bailey against Sasha Banks. Sasha wins via DQ and Bailey retains her title. The match itself lasted all of five minutes before Bailey purposely caused the DQ as expected with the chair shot. And again, this is kind of what we thought would happen, except we thought Sasha would get drafted to Raw. And they were going to tell us that whole storyline. They didn't do it. Banks ended up getting a couple licks on Bailey, but Bailey got away. I thought, honestly, this was a total waste of booking. And with Banks not even getting drafted to Raw, as I said, the feud just seems to be kind of spinning its wheels at this point. Later in the show, Banks challenged Bailey to a Hell in a Cell match, which was probably the best solo promo since their one-on-one feud officially started. I felt the passion from Banks in a big way that I 
maybe didn't in her pr- prior promos and Bailey's prior promos. But ever since the split and the attack, this thing just hasn't really resonated for me the way I expected it to, which is really a shame. Like it's weird they're not doing any face-to-face confrontations or even one person on screen, one person in the ring. Everything seems to be individualized with Bailey or Sasha. When this feud is about them as friends, it's about them having angst between one another. Like, I feel like the next step is we're just going to get a contract signing this week, which it shouldn't be. It should be way more than that. And I don't know, this has just lost a lot of steam and momentum for me. And it's really unfortunate. It's unfortunate that they're doing it in the midst of the Roman Reigns, Jey Uso storyline being so good and during the WWE draft happening that they didn't move one of them to a different brand. It's, I don't know, it it feels like it's getting wasted. Even though it has lasted for such a long period of time. No, and we thought it had been winding down specifically to put a pause on it, to to send Bailey, to send Sasha over to Raw, and then we'd pick it up later. But apparently, no, apparently they're going to pull the trigger and do this now. They're going to do it at Hell in a Cell, I guess. I guess the idea is you're trapped in. There's no getting out of it because nobody has ever gotten out of the cell before. We we know that. Uh, I, I guess this is... This is supposed to be the climax of the feud. It is very weird to do it in this fashion. Like we said, everything had everything had set up for what we all thought was going to happen was a split, but maybe not. I, I, I mean, I guess not. They're they're on the same brand, so that's not happening. So that's the thing. If Sasha Banks wins the title here, which we have to believe she's going to, yeah, uh, yeah. Then what after that? Bailey just challenges her again next week, next month, like. Like, yeah, what are we I, doing? I, I don't know. I Yeah, it, it had pretty much, I think, used up all the heat it had. And instead of call, calling a pause to pick it up later in WrestleMania season, apparently they're just, I think they're going to end it here at Hell in a Cell or maybe one or two more pay-per-views. But it feels like they are wrapping this thing up now. Yeah, it's really strange. But let's move on. Uh, we saw the Fiend Bray Wyatt defeat Kevin Owens one-on-one. And listen, The Fiend and Alexa Bliss, we'll talk about it both in SmackDown and Raw. From an in-ring storyline standpoint, they were the stars of the draft. Of the two episodes combined, I thought Fiend and Bliss were the stars. We'll talk about what happened on SmackDown here. There was a really cool moment backstage with Alexa Bliss walking up to Kevin Owens and creepily saying, let him in. This was very entertaining as a match. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure whether people will agree with me or not, but I loved this match. It was one of my favorite Fiend matches Obviously, the Daniel Bryan ones and a couple that he's done recently have been a little bit were better than some of the initial ones that he did. But this was top tier, top three Fiend matches, I think, that I've seen. I love the match. I love the finish. There was a lot of action outside the ring, including a Uranagi onto the announce table. Owens hit the Fiend uh, with super kicks, cannonballs, a frog splash off the ring apron, and a pop-up powerbomb, putting him through the announce table. Yet Fiend stood right up. Fiend then locked in the mandible claw in the ring, but Owens outsmarted him, turned around, hit a stunner, yet The Fiend didn't release it. I thought that was awesome. That was Fiend, so cool. Yeah, The Fiend then hit a mandible claw Uranagi and pinned Owens. After the match, the lights went out. The Fiend popped up on the ramp, staring into Alexa Bliss's eyes. I thought The Fiend looked super strong here. Owens didn't suffer much because he outsmarted The Fiend at nearly every turn during the match and got in a ton of offense. So Owens looked good, but somehow The Fiend still looked dominant, and they continued the storyline with Alexa. This was an A-plus segment for me. I loved every second of it. Yeah, I, I love 
I've really loved how they've just kind of slow played this Alexa Bliss. Like it always feels like it's taking a step forward, but it's not going too far forward. It's just inching forward every week. Now it's pretty much clear that she's with him, but we still don't totally know the relationship dynamics here. But but it, it's been a slow change over the last few weeks. She continues to be the best at facial expressions in the whole company in terms of telling stories without saying anything. Uh, the, the match was great. Like you said, love, love the stunner spot. Um, it, it made sense with how this had built up over the last couple of weeks as like a, a quick little, like three week little story. Like we, we, we don't get many of these in WWE because they do so many, everything is pay-per-view to pay-per-view, but something like Sheamus versus Big E and something like Kevin Owens versus the fiend, you can do these like mini feuds that, that really help pass the time and feel fresh and keep the show feel fresh. And, and, helps all the characters involved. So big fan of all that. Yeah. It doesn't, it does not hurt to do a two week feud and just move, then move those people on when something yep. happens or, or you need it to, to work into a storyline. And that's what they did here. I agree. I think Alexa bliss from the women's division has the greatest range from an acting standpoint of anyone. Bray Wyatt probably has that for the men, but, yep. but Alexa for the women, no question about it. Um, this was great. Uh, moving on. We had Jeff Hardy and Matt Riddle team up to beat the Miz and John Morrison. It was cool that they did this because Riddle has been a longtime Hardy fan. And I guess on social media ahead of time, he mentioned, hey, you know, if we get split up in the draft, I, it would be great to tag with you. They ended up tagging early in the match. Michael Cole called them Matt and Jeff a few times. I don't know if you noticed that, which I'm not <laughs> sure whether that was a troll job or not, but that is how he referred to them before the commercial break. After the commercial break, it was Riddle and Hardy, but I did catch that. Uh, the match was short and fun. Riddle and Hardy got some good tag team offense in. And I'm just really excited about the entire thing. And I'm like, oh, I'm glad they got this in. But then they ended up both getting drafted to Raw anyway. So it's like, you didn't necessarily need to do this. And you had an established tag team, Miz and Morrison, lose again, right? Like another circumstance where these guys lose. All they've been doing is losing, yet they're getting drafted ahead of many of these other wrestlers, ahead of the tag team champions. It doesn't make sense. Again, these are the things that don't make sense. But this whole thing was quickly ruined, Chris, because WWE, for some reason, decided to bring back Lars Sullivan. Even if you put aside all of the reasons he was suspended, which I can't, but even if you do, he adds absolutely nothing to the roster. How much does he add to the roster? I'll tell you. Zero point zero. Is he big and strong? Yes. He can't cut a promo. He's mediocre at best in the ring. No one cares about him. He could have been released as part of their cuts and no one would have picked him up. Maybe like Impact would have, but AEW would not have. And what they do, the way they bring him back is they have him squash Three legitimate guys in Jeff Hardy, Matt Riddle, and John Morrison, two of whom Matt Hardy just won a feud. Sorry, Matt Hardy. Jeff Hardy just, I'm already doing it. Uh, Jeff Hardy just won a feud. And Matt Riddle just got drafted in like the third round to the other brand. So they're obviously heavily featured guys. And he just squashes all of them for no reason. It was a terrible decision for them to bring him back. It was a terrible way to reintroduce him. And I hate Laura Sullivan. There, there are there are so many problems with this, and just from the wrestling standpoint, forget about any of the other stuff. For one, calling him the freak is a terrible name. 
it it does not it does not uh, get across the idea of fear. And they like, especially the way they say it, Michael Cole's like the freak. He sounds more like an oddity than. Uh, yeah. Than yeah. It's yeah. exactly. It's exactly what he sounds like. Not, not, not a terrifying monster Two, He doesn't do anything in the ring that is eye popping. We just had Dabakato wrecking shop in raw underground. Braun Strowman does what he does. Uh, we, we see The Fiend has done some stuff as well. Lars Sullivan is not doing anything on screen that we haven't seen done much better by other people. So I think presenting him as a monster character is pointless. He, 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 does, not, he does not get the air on, on the lift on some of these chokeslams and different things that he does. It's not eye-popping any of the stuff he does physically. And, 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 and then, yeah, and then exactly what you said going over these already established people. It's just, no one's going to be into Lars Sullivan. I mean, Lars is a weird name anyway. Just everything about this, pre- <laughs> everything about this presentation just does not work. And I, I think he needs a different character. I think, I think a lot of things, but just not, 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 none of this worked. Like, look, WWE... And, and they did it, and they did it tw- I mean, we'll get to it, but they did it twice. They did it twice, right. Uh, WWE suspended and fined him, and, you know, look, maybe legally there was something they couldn't do where they couldn't find him, they couldn't fire him for those reasons or something. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know the legalities behind everything, but what I will say is bringing this guy back in this type of role, having him be dominant to this level, and putting him on SmackDown. I mean, look... I, I, I've long been a raw fan in terms of like the brand of raw. I've been a raw guy, but SmackDown's your flagship brand right now because it's on Fox and your roster is not strong enough to deal with someone like Lars Sullivan. Whereas had they put him on raw, what did I just mention? I mentioned all of the big meaty men slapping meat on that brand. I mean, the beef is going to be flying on raw. And if that's where it's going to be flying, then that's where Laura Sullivan should be, especially when you have Raw Underground and you can hide him. So it's both bad from the standpoint of even having him on my television, but then the way in which they decided to bring him back and the brand on which they decided to put him, everything about this to me was done incorrectly. Yep. All right. Speaking of law, uh, Otis is apparently ready for his lawsuit. He was wearing a full suit with the arms cut off, studying legal terms. And honestly, I've been pretty harsh on this storyline. I kind of laughed. Like I did think the backstage segment was funny. The idea of there being a continuance in the lawsuit with Miz and Morrison already having been drafted to Raw was a good kayfabe way to get around it. But it's just weird that Otis is now on his own over on SmackDown, where Miz, Morrison, Tucker, and Mandy Rose are all together on Raw. Yes, there was, I got the sense in a number of these picks that they really just like moved some stories to the other brand. Mm-hmm. You know, some of these stories that have been going on for far too long, like the Rollins versus the Mysterious. There were there were several instances where everybody from a feud moved over. R-Truth uh, and Tazawa, I think, are still together. Uh, right. New Day and Seamus can keep going. The Miz, Miz and Morrison with Mandy is something I put down as well. Uh, so there were a few of these. Well, Seamus, Seamus is away from Big E, but he's back with Jeff Hardy. Yes, Jeff Hardy as well. 
uh, and and I guess Elias kind of back maybe 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 not back into that. So some of this is just picking up on where they already were, and in which case moving to another brand doesn't freshen up a story, which is largely what the point of the draft was. But oh well. Yeah. So no, I agree with you. So that was SmackDown. Let's move over to Raw. Uh, Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre squared off, faced off in the opening segment. I did pop. Uh, we're going to do a little Barry Horowitz here where we had Orton right off the bat and then McIntyre in his response promo, both mentioning the stat I hammered home so <laughs> vigorously on last week's show. It still would have been far better for commentary to do it in the moment, talking about it was the first time that Drew McIntyre had actually suffered a pinfall in a calendar year, but better to do it in the segment that they did it than not at all. Look, if you're a WWE writer and you do listen to the show and you did hear it from me, just send me a private DM. Like, <laughs> just, just let me know. Because like, I'm not saying that that's the case, but I, I, don't, I am not aware of anyone else hammering this home so vigorously as I did on our show. And for them to not just mention it once but twice on the opening segment of Raw, it just feels like someone heard me say that. I don't know. But if it's the case, private DM, I won't even mention it on the show. Just let me know for my own sake that that's the case. And I'll, I'll, that also, would be, also, that would be if, nice to hear. Yes. Also, if if there is our WWE people listening, uh, bring back Raw Underground. I liked it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's coming back this this coming week based oh, okay. on who they drafted, you know, with we'll Dabakato being there and... Still having Braun Strowman, Riddick Moss, Arturo Ruas. They basically drafted all the Raw Underground people. Eric is still there too. Also do more factions. We, we like factions. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I don't know that they can do anymore, but yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, anyway, so otherwise, besides that mention of the stat that I thought was so cool, there was nothing special here. They talked a lot of crap and then they brawled. They came back after the main event and continued brawling. It was just kind of silly that they bookended the show with this but they were gone for three hours in between. And for me, this has done nothing to enhance their match. Just like with Bailey and Sasha Banks, uh, Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton should have ended at Clash of Champions, and it is now continuing, in my opinion, to lose steam. Yes, uh, I didn't quite get it. Um, you know, they try to do pull apart brawls at times to add add some stuff to it, but both of these shows, Raw and SmackDown, didn't really have a flow to them because of the draft because a lot of stories are on pause because of it uh orton and mcintyre are, are, are fighting but apparently you know i i don't know like if this is so personal are, are they attacking each other outside of business hours like you can try some different things to if you want to keep you know brawls going that are just not happening happening in the thunderdome or the performance center every time so yeah i'm just kind of ready to all right let's get to the match again and see if randy orton actually wins it this time and go from there right now we also had a pretty cool i thought triple threat match aj styles versus jeff hardy versus seth rollins rollins came out he said goodbye to raw with a promo that was pretty good it was cool to see all three of these guys interact when you really haven't seen that before and it's tough to book a three-hour draft show as i mentioned but giving this match two full segments was really smart because it totally delivered from an action standpoint. Mm -hmm. Hardy hit that really cool tornado DDT on Rollins off of Styles' back. And then they did a really cool false finish with Rollins kicking out of the Swanton Bomb, but Jeff getting pushed out of the ring by Styles. So you think Styles is going to get a win over Rollins? Then, as this match is really hitting crescendo, basically, 
we get the surprise return of Elias, who hit Hardy with a guitar shot uh, with the referee kind of incapacitated. So Styles could get the pin. Actually, the referee well, no, no, was incapacitated. No, it, it was because it's, it's that it's triple, triple threat, threat yeah. DQ rule that I hate, but yeah. Yeah, no DQ. So yeah, Styles gets the pin right in front of the referee. I thought on one hand, it was a nice surprise to see Elias return. So that was kind of good. And it showed decent storyline continuity with the hit and run on SmackDown. But it's also another DQ finish in what was otherwise a good borderline great TV match. And Hardy could have just won clean and then been hit with the guitar. And you have the same impact. Later, Elias explained the attack on Hardy. But even though he kind of knows that Hardy wasn't the one to actually hit him. He's still mad at him. That didn't make much sense. I get it. I understand what they're doing, but I just thought it was sloppy. Yeah, it's just, you know, when you have a great match like that with great performance, it, it always just kind of kind of annoying when you get a, a DQ type interference type finish like that. So uh, enjoyed the match. Glad Elias is back because I like him. Um, We'll see what the concert is next week uh, that they do. Um, so, yeah, it was fine. Could have been better. But yeah, it bums you out. The lack yeah. of logic bums you out. And that's kind of how I would describe my feelings for the next thing that we'll talk about, which is Kevin Owens defeating Aleister Black in a no disqualification match. So there were a couple good spots here. Owens, he took the announce table bump off the barrier, dropped toehold into the chair. But the Meteora, dude, that Aleister Black hit, basically crushing Kevin Owens, through four chairs. That was an incredible spot. And that should have been the finish. That should have ended the match with Aleister Black winning. The finish was obvious once he didn't get the fall. And then when he kicked the ring post. So Owens hits a stunner, a powerbomb through a table, and Aleister Black loses once again. You had to know that Owens was probably going to win this match after losing to The Fiend a couple days earlier because they didn't want to completely bury Kevin Owens, having him lose to The Fiend and Aleister Black. But that was my exact concern when I mentioned this last week, that he was in two feuds with these guys simultaneously. Black badly needed a win in a feud, but you knew that The Fiend was going to beat Owens. There was no way that Owens was going to beat The Fiend. So Alistair Black, we're sitting here now. He's drafted pretty, you know, not high in the draft, but he was drafted, I think, in the fifth round, and it was the first pick of the round. So it seems like they understand that he has some value, but he cannot catch a break with his booking. In over a year on the main roster, he has only won a single feud, and it's against Murphy, who I love, but is a low-slash-mid-carder. Owens is leaving the brand of Raw, but he doesn't go out on his back. So this just, to me, made no sense whatsoever. Well, also, Owens and Aleister Black are both on... SmackDown now. Yeah, they both left the brand. That's right. Yeah, so um, I thought it was the end of the feud, and then maybe it wasn't. So I, I, I don't know. Like it's, it, it's hard to, it's hard to evaluate much on these feuds right now because the draft kind of hangs over everything. The sense I got was that this is supposed to end the feud, which honestly I kind of forgot why this feud happened. Alistair, Kevin Owens wanted to know if he was okay after like why is Alistair Black so angry at. Kevin Owens and not. I not. forget, but yeah. <laughs> Alistair Black did give a reason. Like he did explain it Probably. in the backstage promo. You know, he did though. And it was like, it made some sense, but I am forgetting what it was. Yeah. yeah and it's sometimes we kind of lose the plot on these stories. And and all, all I remember is that Alistair Black is pissed off at Kevin Owens. 
I did not remember why. They did not remind me why. And uh, I, I assumed this was the end of that feud, but now they're on SmackDown, so who the heck knows what happens next? All I know is you have Aleister Black, who's a really great wrestler, a good character worker, and people don't think he's a good promo, but I actually do. And what we have seen consecutively is his eye get taken out. Um, it's now bloodshot. Lose clean to Seth Rollins. Lose clean to Kevin Owens. So what are you doing with Aleister Black? And now he's on a SmackDown roster where there's not a lot of big names and he should be one of them. So how do you re-establish this guy? He said, apparently in an interview, we've only seen about 20% of his new character. Great, we'll see more character, but the guy needs to win wrestling matches. So what's he going to do now? Beat Kalisto, Murphy again, Shorty G, Apollo Crews, and no one else? Like That's the problem that I'm worried about with him on SmackDown, but we'll see as time goes. We also had, again, another strange booking decision, going back to what we talked about earlier, Angel Garza beating Andrade clean. Zelina Vega was at ringside despite not being in the corner of Garza or Andrade, but she's there. Garza beats Andrade clean with his finisher, the wing clipper. Talk about guys never winning anything. Andrade is another great example of that. And not only does he lose clean, he gets destroyed moments later by The Fiend. So before we talk about The Fiend, now we have Andrade, undrafted, going out on his back to Angel Garza. Zelina Vega checks on him at ringside after the match. Zelina Vega and her husband, by the way, Aleister Black, have moved to SmackDown. Charlotte Flair, who's Andrade's fiance, is on Raw. So why does Zelina Vega care about Andrade again? Is he going to go to SmackDown? And are they going to split up him and Charlotte? And why was he undrafted? Again, earlier, my guess is he's taking time off and it's going to be a surprise. And if that is the case, then him losing to Garza makes sense in that regard because you always want to go out on your back. But it feels weird, man, that Andrade, this guy who I think in last year's draft, if memory serves, was maybe a second round pick or a first round pick. Now he's undrafted and not on TV. Doesn't feel right. Yeah, like I mean, like I said, I'm fine with him being undrafted if, he's taking time off and he really does need to take time off all, all summer. It's just been losses as a tag team losses as, you know, as you as right. champion, he lost like back-to-back weeks to drew McIntyre in, in, in champion versus champion matches. Uh, yeah. I, I think he needs some time off to just stop the losing and, and come back. I, I, I'm fine with him not getting drafted, assuming he's taking time off. If he's not taking time off, then I don't know what's going on, but he, he need his character needs a break. Well, this is what I'll tell you. So last night he retweeted uh, Charlotte Flair's Raw draft pick, right? 30 minutes ago, as we're taping the show, it's early on Tuesday, he tweeted, thank you slash gracias with three fists. So I don't know what that means. Uh, Maybe he's leaving. Uh, I mean, that seems to maybe be the indication he's trying to make here. But yeah, he's saying thank you slash gracias. I uh, I don't know. I don't, he he's incredibly talented guy who we we thought um, would have been a great Drew McIntyre uh, feud type of thing as a, as a main event guy, not as a U.S. champ. You know, there, there's a lot of potential there that I don't think on the main roster has been tapped. Agreed. And look, maybe he's going back to NXT, and it'll be a nice surprise. NXT, I, I don't think would be the worst move. Um, but I just don't know that that was a little bit surprising. And uh, 
don't necessarily know what that means. So I will say that I believe he signed in 2015. And generally, they were signing at that time five-year contracts. So 2020, November 2020, is about five years. That would mean maybe his contract's up. And maybe he decided to go back to Mexico or decided not to re-sign. That would make a lot of sense. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see. If Andrade's a free agent, that's an AEW signing right off the bat that you have to take. And maybe that's what happens. Yeah, I, I mean, the the engagement with Charlotte Flair, I think, certainly plays a role in the idea of going back to Mexico or something. I, I, I don't know, but um, we'll see. Yeah, really interesting. But that is news across the wire or a tweet across the wire. It seems like Andrade may not have re-signed, but we will find out. We'll see what happens. Um, I, what I will say is the way that this ended was with The Fiend showing up in the ring. And actually, I'm screwing that up because that's not what happened. What happened was even cooler than that. The lights went out, The Fiend's music and all that stuff happened. And Alexa Bliss shows up in the ring in the corner, bent over uh, like kind of like a spider, I guess, like The Fiend. And I'm thinking, holy crap, she looks awesome. The camera pans to the other side of the ring. The Fiend shows up. They both grab Andrade and Zelina Vega respectively. Hit Sister Abigail in an incredible double moment. I think that they have totally revitalized both of the characters of The Fiend and Alexa Bliss with this pairing. It somehow, despite The Fiend not changing much, feels fresh and new. And now that they're also on Raw interacting with other people, I'm just really excited to see what they do with this duo. Yep. Yeah, we, we, we kind of talked about them earlier, but I, I think they're they're doing great stuff. They're taking it slow, um, keeping it mysterious continue to like what they're doing there. And I'm excited to see what they try to do on raw. Cause I don't watch SmackDown every week live. So raw is the one I do. So I'm excited to see them uh, more and more. We also had a cool moment with Ricochet on this show. And I think <clears throat> Ricochet has found something with his promos the last couple of weeks. It felt just a little bit more natural. I liked the proposition that he gave that the basically end the feud. Uh, with Ricochet I joining, I love this. Yes, yeah, Ricochet joining the Hurt business because he's noted that it's been going on long enough. So he's not just playing into kayfabe, but also reality. Like it's been going on long enough. This thing needs to end. <laughs> I'm so a bit, let's just I'm have a big, one. I'm a big fan of end the feud stipulations. Yeah, so let's just have one more match, and if I win, it's over, and if I lose, I'll join your group. So either way, it would have been a positive outcome. So we get Ricochet ultimately beating Cedric Alexander, and how did he do that? Well, not only did they have a great match. But they did the Eddie Guerrero lie, cheat, and steal move with the steel chair being introduced, uh, the referee being turned, and Ricochet, despite being a face, faking getting hit. He fainted like he had the vapors, and he just, you know, it was hysterical. Okay, I, I thought it was really funny. It was smart. It showed that the Ricochet character wasn't just going to get ganged up upon and that he had a little something there. I just don't know how Ricochet fits into what they're doing on Raw with all the big dudes and, and what they're going to end up doing with him. But man, it's, it was great to see him outsmart a faction in that moment. And I hope that they really do follow through and they split these, these people. Yeah. And, and that came a day or so after Eddie Guerrero's uh, birthday uh, yeah. was the other day. So that, that felt like an, another homage to that. Um, yeah. Ricochet is developing some character, I think on his own. Um, and, and He's a guy, yeah, would have liked to see him go to SmackDown, maybe where he can get a little bit more shine. Uh, so we'll see. Um, but he, he's a guy, 
I don't know, when he did that flip out of the ring against uh, Velveteen Dream back in NXT, like, mm-hmm. you knew this guy was a star, but, like, that was the moment where you're like, okay, if they don't make this guy a superstar, then they then they messed up. And we're still not there yet. And it's it's unfortunate that not only is he... They're not highlighting many of his strengths as much as they could. Like, something like a match with Cedric Alexander here does that, but... You know, matches against the big guys, you know, where, where he has to kind of do things slower. I just, there, there's still so much potential ricochet. This guy can be everything, even if the promos aren't always great. He's finding something there, but he needs he needs to be put in an opportunity to to shine. And I, th- I think people will fall in love with him when he does. That's a lot easier with the crowd, though, as well. It is. And I just I just don't know how they do it with the type of roster that they have currently on Raw. That's my biggest concern. But um, yeah, I just actually checked his Twitter as well. An hour ago, Ricochet tweeted, it's no secret that Eddie Guerrero was an inspiration to me and so many before and after me. It was an honor to be able to pay homage to an all time great hashtag. Thank you, Eddie. So it definitely was that, I, you know, obviously what we thought, but pretty cool that they worked that into a storyline and it made sense. So you got to give credit where it's due there. I kind of wish there was a real finish to the match because they were so good. They're so good together, Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. But we still got a pretty cool moment and credit to Ricochet. Ricochet came off well on Monday night. And that's a positive uh, step in the right direction. And last but not least, I guess we can kind of wrap everything together that happened in the women's division on Raw because it was pretty convoluted. We had Miz TV with Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. The segment did nothing for me. Surprisingly, I thought Lana seriously, cut her best promo in a non-manager role, maybe ever. She's not good in the ring, but if I'm being honest, I like this new character that she's developed and I liked the partnership with Lana. I really did. So then you have them in a match, Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke defeating Lana and Natalia. Clearly Mandy and Dana are a new women's tag team, even though they were drafted separately during night one of the draft but they need a new team. They work together. They look good together. But just as I'm praising the tag team of Natalia and Lana, they split them up, which is just so typical. But Lana in that promo, like she made the off the hand comment about, hey, I'm the woman with, uh, you know, two husbands and a girlfriend and two, 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 two ex-husbands, ex-husbands and, yeah, yeah. and an ex-girlfriend. So spill the tea right now. Like I'm here for it. It just really worked. I had a, uh, One of the listeners messaged me. He wanted me to play this sound effect. That's the most action I've had all year. Seeing all four of them together in the ring. So I did that for him. Uh, But I like Lana. Like weird. It's so freaking weird. I like her in this role. She's not a good wrestler. I'm separating the two. But as a female superstar, it's a very divas era type of role for her. But it works. I think it works. And And you can, we'll wrap it up. Like I said, we well, they had a women's battle royal. Shayna Baszler eliminated Nia Jax. Made storyline sense, but you know eventually they're going to break up, so that will play into that. Jax took her anger out on Lana, crushing her through the table for like the fourth week in a row. That was hysterical. Bianca Belair got a big elimination. Uh, both Riot Squad members eliminated Bianca Belair. And then Lana sneaked in at the end to eliminate Natty. So I thought, and then after on Raw Talk, they drafted them to separate brands. So again, a situation where I think they put the storyline before the draft pick. They could have drafted them and then done all of these things. But nevertheless, I came out of all of this, and I think it's ridiculous that Lana is getting a Raw Women's Championship shot. 
But if I'm being honest, I was entertained by Lana in three separate segments on Raw. And how often do we ever say that? So I thought I was going to have a pretty controversial opinion coming into this episode. I was going to say that I actually think Lana is a pretty good promo. I actually didn't think her promo Monday was all that great, but I thought her promo work during the Bobby Lashley Rusev stuff was was really quite good. Um, uh, uh, she repeated herself I, a lot during all she, that. Stuff. She, she she did, but she she spoke with. With, with 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 confidence and 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 I just I thought she was pretty good. I think she's a pretty good promo. I agree. Um, I think it's insane that she's getting this title match, but I guess somebody does. I don't know. I thought there was a real opportunity in this battle royal to finish it off in the final four or five people to have. Uh, you, you could have had Shayna Baszler, Bianca Belair, Ruby Riot, uh, Lacey Evans in there and, and like really make it feel like one of those like final four Royal rumble moments where it's like a big deal. Instead they go the natty route who you're not happy about. Then they go the Lana route who you're not happy about either. Right. So not, I don't like the finish. I do think they actually did tell a story throughout the episode about them. So credit for that. Yeah. I mean, you look at who is on the women's roster now. Charlotte Flair is not there. Uh, Naomi apparently I think just had surgery, which is why she hasn't been on TV. Alexa Bliss is embroiled in the angle with Bray Wyatt. So the women remaining on Raw that are actually eligible to be in title matches are Lacey Evans, Nikki Cross, Peyton Royce, and Lana. So you don't have much, really. And I guess if you want to have a title match on a season premiere, you might as well get Lana out of the way. Maybe that's what they're doing. But Asuka, when you look at that brand, there's really no one who should take the title off of her except Alexa Bliss. Because you can now say Alexa with the fiend persona or whatever she has going on in her head, that might be enough to take care of Asuka finally. But right now, I don't see anyone beating Asuka. Whereas on SmackDown, you have Bailey. I can see Sasha. I can see Bianca Belair. And probably Carmella, just because she's been champion before and is now has a new gimmick. You can see that as well. So you really see three people who could legitimately take the title off Bailey at any time. Raw, it just feels like the women's division may be in trouble a little bit. And Lacey Evans, if they're going to make her a focus of it, then we know that that's a problem. Yep, yep. We'll, we'll kind of have to see. I, I, the Oscar, Oscar's kind of been stuck in, kind of just sitting out there by herself for a while because finding challengers for her has been an issue. So Battle Royals will find a way to do it, but we got to have something bigger. Yeah. And it's also the other thing as well. And I'm, I am discounting the fact that Baszler and Jax will lose their titles. So they will quickly become number one contender type women very, very yes. soon. So I was forgetting that. Um, but yeah, it just the women's divisions right now seem like they need a little like massaging to, to find form a little bit. Whereas, again, coming out of the draft, coming out of these two shows, I think the strongest division on either brand is the men's division on Raw. That is number one. And I think everything else needs some work. And that's not dissimilar from how he came out of the 2019 draft, where it was way more uneven, the 2019 draft. But this, we had the same thought that the men's division on Raw, in terms of talent, was way more stacked than the men's division on SmackDown. And I think ultimately, that's what we're seeing once again, as we move into the second season, really, of WWE under these new SmackDown and raw contracts with Fox and USA Network, respectively. So, you know, we can get out of here on that. Chris, is there anything else you kind of wanted to mention from these shows or the draft before we uh, end today's show? No, I just, uh, I, I just think my big takeaway is the order of the draft could have 
made a little bit more sense, but this is what it is now. It's it's tough. It's I know it's tough to put all this together. I think sometimes we're making it too tough by trying to create storylines out of the draft itself when you can just treat it like a normal thing. Like basically, like how how would fans draft do this draft? You know, I, I think that you can make this draft simpler and make it more interesting. You don't need to make it too convoluted. Sometimes simpler is. Uh, is better, but uh, another draft in the books, and hopefully this kind of freshens some things up because uh, especially Raw has needed it for quite a while. That's true. I think that is the good takeaway, and, and you you can use my uh, my gimmick of convolution uh, frequently, and I'll accept it in this case. Um, that's the truth. It's was the 2020 draft better than the 2019 draft? Absolutely. Does that mean it was great? No. Uh, that we we really broke down a lot of the issues that we had with it over the course of the show. And I know today's show was a little uneven as well, speaking about the WWE draft being uneven, but with so many things happening and so many different topics to discuss from the draft to actual wrestling that happened on Raw and SmackDown, we just had a lot to get through today. So I thank you all for listening to today's show. We have a lot ahead for you over this week and next week. Do not forget, we will be back Thursday breaking down everything that happens on NXT and AEW Dynamite from Wednesday. It will be the one-year anniversary show of AEW Dynamite. So that in particular should be exciting. And then we will be back next week with the ultimate preview for WWE Hell in a Cell. And then on the back end of that week, instant analysis for WWE Hell in a Cell. So a short week here, a long week next week, but you need to stick with getting over for both of them. You can go ahead and do that by following us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. And do not forget, if you have not subscribed to this show yet, head on over to whatever platform you listen to podcasts on, wherever you're listening to this right now. Subscribe to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate it. Macho Man, we're going to give him a break today since it's a long show. And the Silver King is clearly losing his voice. So with that, I only have three words left for you. Bye for now.